You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, I get, you know what? I guess that's, that's an additional or um, function to Zoom, which is good because maybe not everybody always knew a meeting was being recorded. Um, but yeah, no, this is good. Yeah, they, they got a couple well, of lawsuits going about it. That's why they had to put it on. Yeah, well, I think yeah. it's good. It's good, good for people to know. Anyhow, this has all been recorded, so let me move on. Uh, welcome to First Peter tonight, uh, our penultimate class. Uh, we are going to be looking at First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. So we're almost done, if you can believe it. Wow. It's... Uh, 10 weeks. We're on week nine already. So uh, next week will be our last one. And uh, tonight's, I was going to say tonight's episode, uh, tonight's, um, what we're going to be focusing on has a lot to do with the question of suffering, which is so interesting. Um, You know, I always find it baffling. When um, people say, oh, you Christians, you, you know, you got your, you know, pie in the sky belief. You're so unrealistic. You believe in all these, you know, it's not, you don't understand what the real world is like. I'm like, have you not read First Peter? Uh, because suffering, the nature of suffering and the reality of suffering in this world is, it, it leaks through every, every verse, every, every passage. And especially in our passage that we're going to be looking at tonight. And so if you have your Bibles handy, uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 12 and go to verse 19. That'll take us to the end of chapter 4, and then next week we'll conclude 1 Peter by looking at chapter 5, okay? So 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, Or as a meddler. For if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this glorious day that you have given us. And your word is life. And may we be people that align our lives to you and to what you have revealed in your word. For only then can we live. Can we become the people you want us to be? So we commit tonight to you. Give us a heart of obedience. Give us a heart to respond, to say yes to you. That's our desire in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, well, as you see, uh, the topic of, of suffering is is uh, is paramount. Um, it's first and foremost in this in this uh, section as well. So, but the thing is, Peter's talked a lot about suffering so far, but, but he's not quite finished. Uh, in fact, he brings up suffering here, and the way he brings up suffering here is a little bit different. It's almost it's almost like um, in the pa in the earlier references to suffering, it was kind of like you know talking about suffering that may come. In this passage, it seems to be more of a present reality, um, a present reality that's really difficult to avoid. And, um, and so Peter demonstrates his compassion for the churches and he challenges them. Um, you know, this is, these are some of the things you're going to face if you follow Jesus. But I love the way he begins this passage. I mean, he begins as a pastor. He begins as a, as a, as a brother in Christ. He, he calls the church beloved. And I like that. That's, that's important. Beloved. And so before he lays out the hard truth, he's, he's like a parent. He, yeah, you know, come here. You know I love you, but I need to tell you these things. Um, he's going to lay out the hard truth that they need to apprehend. And, and what he wants to tell them is this, is that they should not be surprised if they face a fiery trial. Now, it's interesting. There's different words for trial in the Bible. The one that Peter uses here is this word purosis. Um, and it's a word that means burning or being exposed to fire or being on fire. And um, this makes it clear the kind of situation that Peter's talking about. What kind of say he's talking about a situation that Christians find themselves in where things get a little bit hot and <laughs> things get a little bit heated. Um, and so he's talking about certain kind of trial. So just to be clear, he's not talking about, um, you know, the, you know, the trial that happens when your favorite hockey team tanks in the playoffs again and again and again. He's not talking about, I'm just talking hypothetically, like uh, if, if you know of a hockey team that was up like three games to one, and then lost the series. Uh, he's not talking about that, that kind of suffering, though that suffering really, really, really hurts. Uh, it's a different kind of suffering. Um, he's referring to trials of significant pain, uh, significant stress. And, and he's telling us that, you know, when these trials come at us hard, that these trials can be painful. Um, but recognize that God allows these trials to test us. And I don't know, like there's so many um, things in this passage, that, you know, are echoes of, of earlier passages that we've read in First sure. Peter. Because if, if you remember way back, way back in chapter one, verse six and seven, P Peter writes these words. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter was saying, there's something that's more precious than gold. What is more precious than gold? Well, it's not our faith that is more precious than gold, but it's this. It is the tested genuineness of our faith. So it's not just, you know, I have faith and that's worth gold. It's what does our faith look like when you and I experience trials 
that's that's what's being said here. Um, and so what God, what God is saying through Peter is that how we make our way through the challenges, the challenges that we face matters to God. Um, because God uses these, these, these trials. He uses these challenges to transform. There you go. Just got on, I think. We're good. <laughs> All right. Just going to, yeah. Okay, good. Um, so that's why it's necessary. Gold may melt in the fire. But what these fiery trials will do, well, they, they will display genuine faith, right? So what I'd like you to do, hmm, is it too early for a breakout room? I think. It's always too early, David. It's always too early. I don't know if it is. I think it's. it's Let's do it. Let's do Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for the encouragement. Okay, so here's the question then. Here's the question. Um, if you, if you feel comfortable doing this and you don't have to participate, if you don't, that's fine. Um, if, if you've gone through some trial, some difficulty, um, maybe share a little bit about the trial, not, not long, long details. And again, you don't have to do this, but if you want to share, you know, some trial that you went through, um, and then uh, to answer this question, what is it about the trial that surprised you and affected you? How did, how did it, did it surprise you and how did it affect you spiritually? So did you go through a trial? Um, what is it about the trial that surprised you and how did it affect you spiritually? So be succinct because this, this is, I mean, it is a big topic. And again, I want to reiterate, you can just say, you know, I, I, I prefer not to say anything, but hey, some of you may want to say something. So I'll put you into groups for a little bit. Thanks, Kevin. Um, and uh, and I'll, I'll bring you back. Okay. So I'll just put you in for a few minutes. Remember. Zoom breakout rooms are in their very nature, very awkward. So mm -hmm. if you're in a room and, and you're just like looking at each other, be the first to say, hey, everybody, this is awkward. So what do you guys think? Okay. Be that leader. Here we go. Send you <laughs> to breakout room. Here we go. It'll be fun. Uh, okay. Maybe. Yeah, here we go. Yes, thank you. We know that. Okay. Um, okay, here we go. Um, we're going to carry on. Hello, Abby. I see you over there. Okay, um, does anybody want to share? Uh, from we, we were talking about fiery trials, and let me just ask you this. You don't have to describe the fiery trial, but how many of you, when you experience fiery trials or you experience, experience your challenges, how many of you um, um, were surprised when you experienced it? Like spiritually, you, you, you're, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, some of you are surprised. Yeah, Kevin, I know yours. Yeah, um, they kind of just, it was sudden, right? But how many of you, like when you experience it, are like, wait a minute, God, what, why is this happening to me? Did you have that, Kevin? If I can put you on the spot, I know that you're you're not shy, but yeah, um, not necessarily. I think, like you say, more people were surprised that it happened to me. 
because <laughs> it was unexpected. I did read to my group a quote from C.S. Lewis, and I know you love C.S. Lewis, so can I read this one-sentence quote? Of course. And it's from chapter 4, verse 12, where he says, Beloved, don't think it's strange that you're going through these trials. C.S. Lewis says, The real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some do not. So meaning uh, every Christian should suffer, that's what this seems to be saying. So the question is, if you're a Christian, why are you not suffering, right? So we're surprised, yeah, oh, perfect. why is this good person suffering? And it's like, well, no, no, the question is, if you're some good Christian, why aren't you suffering? And I just thought that's yeah. a wow, powerful quote. Well, that's, that's certainly the theme of of First Peter uh, chapter, well, of First Peter, and uh, certainly our, our chapter. Um, yeah, it's interesting, Peter. I, I was surprised how weak we are and how much we need God. Yeah, and it suffering, you know, you, I'm the same way. I, I feel like I'm such a strong Christian until suffering happens. It's like, wow, you know what? What? Yeah, my all my strength just kind of went out the window, and I'm like, oh man, I'm, you know, I'm not as uh, strong as I thought I was. I I felt that um, I never asked why. But hmm. I felt like I got some answers to why without asking. Like, so I felt oh, like, yeah, I felt like right away I knew some of the reasons. And I'm sure I don't know all the reasons. But there was a few reasons that just came to me right away as to why it hmm. happened. And it was really sudden and it was like shocking and devastating. But hmm. it was, it, yeah, I, yeah. I had, I didn't have to ask why. Um, because I felt like I got yeah. some answers. It was, wow. it was, I found that interesting. Yeah, well, that's powerful, Donna. That's so interesting, yeah. Yeah, I see, Lori, it was a real test of faith, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Well, that, that again, is, is, our, is our theme. Um, a lot of people, when, when they experience trials, they, they, they do ask some questions. Um, and it's okay to ask questions, but it's, it is interesting. If, if you read First Peter well, if you read the Gospels well, if you read, you know, if you read the Bible well, um, I mean, one of the things Jesus teaches us is, you know, in this world that you will have trouble. Uh, blessed are those who are persecuted. I mean, that's not pleasant. Um, we saw in the book of Daniel, um, you know, the, the cost of discipleship. I mean, so that it's a theme that runs all throughout scripture. And, um, you know, even uh, Mike, when, when Mike did uh, chapter two, and he talked about, you know, following the pattern of Jesus, well, well, the pattern of Jesus is the way of the cross. And we know that, but when, when the trials come our way, um, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It really is a challenge. Um, yeah. So Peter, he has more. He has, just when we think he's done talking about suffering, he has even more to talk about suffering. He says, we should not be surprised. We should not be surprised. Um, now, why, if, when Peter says you should not be surprised when you have suffering, why would a person be surprised? Well, they might be surprised because, well, they've been doing good. And if you do well, if you do good things, um, generally, you would think society would leave you alone. They would be hey, this person's doing good things. Uh, but he says, well, no, that it's not. It's not. He goes, you don't, don't, don't see that your, your suffering is strange. As if something, what does he say? He goes, as if something strange were happening to you, right? Um, 
He wants, and so what God wants us to understand is that significant suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. Um, but it's not just any kind of suffering that Peter's talking about here. Um, he's talking about suffering that is connected to Jesus. So this isn't just trials, you know, tragedies that, that come our way. Though those, those are real and how we respond to that matters. But what First Peter's talking about is the kind of suffering that we experience when our behavior reflects the way that reflects Jesus. And he says, when this happens, he says, rejoice. What does he say? He says, um, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And so he's talking about sharing Christ's sufferings. And this is a theme that Paul also talks about as well. So um, what's his point? Well, his point is we're not to rejoice in all suffering. That's not what he's saying. Um, he's saying those who suffer for good are suffering along with Jesus because they, they can identify with Jesus because Jesus suffered on the cross for doing good. Um, these sufferings can be transformative. Um, when we are suffering the same way that Jesus suffered, you know, and through persecution, it's, it's a cause for rejoicing. And Jesus even teaches this as well. And, when we, if we can identify with Jesus in our suffering and our humiliation, um, then this, in some strange way, leads to glory. Now, what is Peter not saying? And this is important. Peter is not saying this when he's talking about suffering, um, suffering with Jesus, right? Sharing in Christ's suffering. What, what he's not saying is this, is that we, you and I suffer we do not suffer for the sake of getting glory. So if you're, um, you know, it sounds strange, but in the early church, um, there were Christians who wanted to be martyred. And they would go out of their way to be martyred. I mean, there's this one guy named Ignatius and he's being, he's in the back of this wagon and the wagon's being taken to, to Rome, to the, to the circuit, uh, to, well, to the Colosseum where he's going to be torn apart by wild animals. And there's people saying, hey, Ignatius, we can rescue you. And he's like, no, don't, don't rescue me. This is, this is where I'm going. And there are some people that just kind of delighted in the idea of suffering uh, for the sake of, um, of getting, I don't know, getting, but sometimes for, for, for getting glory. And uh, in the early church, there are some people saying, look, that's not, you know, if God calls you to martyrdom, that's one thing, but don't be going looking for it. Um, and the glory, you know, don't be looking for glory. It's, it, it's all about God's glory. It's not your glory. And so the other thing is what Peter is not saying is that you and I are not to rejoice in, uh, we're not to rejoice uh, in, in suffering itself. We're not to say, well, I'm suffering. This is awesome. It's not the suffering part. It's the fact that we are somehow in our suffering being connected deeply to Jesus. That's the point. Because um, suffering is never, never a good thing. And the Bible has never portrays suffering in and of itself as a good thing. Suffering, it's not pleasant. It's not good. 
But if we're suffering for the sake of Jesus, if we're suffering because we are loyal to walking to Jesus, then there's a, there's, there's a transformative aspect to that. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me on that? I don't think I explained that very well. Um, so you, you don't go suffering just for the sake of suffering. The suffering in itself is not necessarily a good thing. And you don't so go suffering saying, hey, I'm going to be glorified just the way Jesus was glorified. That's not also the, the motivation. Everything about suffering has to be connected to our love for and our, the love that we receive from Jesus and our desire to identify with him. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. So let me ask you this. When you read this, I mean, see, let me see some of you Old Testament scholars here. When you read about the fiery trial, was there an echo of scripture? Something came to mind? Daniel. Did you hear it? Daniel, Daniel chapter. Does anybody know? Three. Chapter three, Daniel chapter three, where we go Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Remember uh, when we studied this last uh, last class? Um, I think the fiery, I think the fiery trial, the reference to the fiery trial is an echo of Daniel three, which, which brings another aspect to this whole story to mind. And it's this, um, what is the point of Daniel three? Well, why, why do they get, you know, if you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace, why were they thrown into the fiery furnace? Because they wouldn't worship uh, Caesar or whoever the king was. Yeah, 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 Nebuchadnezzar, like a, a big statue, a gold statue that he made, right? Yeah. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't bow the knee. They wouldn't join in this kind of idol worship. Okay. And so... And so they get thrown into the fiery furnace. What happens when they're in the fiery furnace? They're okay. They don't get burned. Yeah. Are they, is it just, a, yeah. Is it just the three of them in there just hanging out? Oh, another guy. Yeah. There's a fourth, <laughs> right? There's a fourth. And so, and the fourth represents, represents, um, you know, the, 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 the presence of God, God's, God's very presence. And so I think there's another aspect that's being hinted at in this passage. And that is the, we, yes, we suffer. We identify with Jesus. We identify with his sufferings. But the other thing is that when we suffer, we also know that the one who suffered ahead of us, Jesus Christ, will be with us in our suffering. And I think that's a really important point that Peter makes, not just here, but in other places. Chapter two also comes to mind. We follow, um, when we follow Jesus into the fiery trials, um, it brings us closer to Christ. He is present with us. And many of you, I know, I know many of you, and I know many of you as you have suffered. One of the things that you've often said to me is that you have experienced the presence of Jesus in the midst of your suffering. And I think that's, that's, that's a reality is that because the God we worship is not sitting on a cloud with his eyes half closed far, far away. The God we worship understands suffering and meets us in our suffering. And that's a game changer. That's what differentiates Christianity from any other faith out there is the God we worship gets it. He understands suffering and will meet us in our suffering.
So yeah, suffering with Christ will bring us, uh, you know, bring us, we'll, we'll experience his presence. And then that brings us to verse 14. Look at verse 14. What does it say? If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's a great, great line. Um, he says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Do you hear an echo of, uh, of another passage? In this time in the New Testament. Jesus says. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, yeah. From uh, Matthew, I think it's Matthew five eleven. Let me take a look, see if it's. Mm -hmm. I think it's that one. I wrote it down as five eleven. What does he say? Uh, Matthew five eleven. Some of you are faster than I am finding it. Uh, Matthew five eleven. What does it say? Yeah, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all sorts of evil against you falsely on my account. Or in other translations, insult you. Yeah. Uh, suffering, suffering is a blessing. Being insulted for being a Christian, a faithful Christian, is a blessing. It's a blessing because, what does he say? And it's a strange phrase that he uses. He says, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And, uh. This one commentator I read this week uh, said he thought Peter was just going to, he, he says, Peter is probably just going to write the spirit of, um, the spirit of God rests upon you. Cause that's, that's the standard way to say it. But I think he gets carried away because he's writing a lot about glory and the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And so what he's saying is that um, because we're elect aliens we are exiles in this world. We can expect fiery trials. But these should cause us to rejoice because they are proof. They are proof of our identity as children of God and will lead us closer to Jesus, right? Um, now, it's interesting because then he carries on. So he's just, uh, yeah, he's saying, so God's very presence is on you. But then he makes this interesting comment. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler, <laughs> which is kind of an interesting thing for him to say. Because um, I would guess that most Christians can avoid the first two, right? Um, being a murderer and a thief. Uh, but what is he saying? Well, he's, he says, yeah, you know, don't be a murderer and a thief. And I was like, okay. But then look, what's the third one he says? Be a, don't be a murderer or a thief or a meddler or a meddler so his, his, his point is this is that one um if you're suffering because you're doing really bad things that's not the suffering that he's talking about and but then it's interesting he says if you're a murderer or a thief or a meddler a meddler what is a meddler a meddler is someone who busies himself or herself in the affairs of others in an unwarranted manner, or to put it differently, they stick their nose in other people's business. Um, they try to fix people when they're not even asking for help. Um, just for fun, let me ask you this, because this will be fun. How does a church, how does meddling 
show up in the church? Or does Prayer anybody? Requests. What's that? Prayer requests. Prayer re okay, unpack that. What do you mean by that? <laughs> oh, I just need you to pray for my friend Sally because, oh, did you know that she was like caught cheating on her <laughs> husband? Can we pray for their marriage? Yeah. Oh, very good. <laughs> Oh, that, that's, that's sadly so true. Yeah, that's so true. Any other ways? What about when we rewrite the pastor's sermon form? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, we're, yeah. I mean, you probably don't hear a lot about it on Sunday afternoon, but I know people outside of the church, well, he should have said this, and he oh. didn't talk about that. And by the way, he forgot to mention that. Oh, no, I've had people come up after the service say that to me. I had one guy come up to me once. I, I preached a message. I don't know about the rest of them, Dave, but you know I do. <laughs> one guy came up to me after I, I preached a message, and he says, he goes, oh, so I just watched your sermon. I'm like, okay. He goes, and this is what I've noticed. You touched your face 137 times. I said, wow, that's, that's good for me to know. That's probably too many times. I said, what do you think of the message, though? Wow, they, I didn't really, I was busy counting how many times he touched your face. <laughs> Anyhow. Yeah, meddling, meddling. Meddling is, is a big deal. And, and sometimes as Christians, because, hey, we're brothers, and, and it's out of a concern for my brother and sister in Christ. Um, I'm going to kind of lean in and say, you really ought not to, you shouldn't be wearing that. And how come you're doing this? And, you know, yeah. It's funny how Peter even sees it way back in, in the first century. Some things don't change. Um, oh, 136 is acceptable. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's important. And sometimes as... Uh, yeah, and so Peter's point is this, is that, you know, sometimes when we do the right thing, we'll suffer. But sometimes we suffer because we're being jerks. And, and we need to have the wisdom to know the difference. And you know, I've often heard Christians say, oh, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, and I'm being persecuted. I'm like, yeah, not really. You're just being a bit of a twit. That's why you're being persecuted. Um, and so it's interesting, Peter, he sees that. He knows that, that that could happen, right? But then he says, hang on. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, right? So he's, he, he gets it right. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, right? So it's interesting. Um just as an aside, it says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, that's only one of two places in the entire New Testament where we come across the word Christian. You know that? The word Christian only shows up twice in the New Testament. Shows up here and I believe in Acts 26. And the word Christian uh, seems to be a nickname that was given to followers of Jesus, that from outsiders. That's what some scholars think. And he says, you know what? If you're, if you're being persecuted because you're being loyal to Jesus, 
you're following Jesus. He says, don't feel shame, which is an interesting thing because you say, don't feel shame because you're liable to feel shame. Now, we live in a very open Western culture where shame, you know, there aren't too many things that we can do that are shameful anymore because everything's okay. Everything's permissible. But in some cultures, shame is still a big deal. Like I, I lived in, um, you know, I lived in China for years and, and shame is a big deal. And, and for a person to experience shame is really problematic. It's, it, it, it's, it's not good. I know in, in the Middle East, shame is, is a big deal. Um, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, shame was a big deal. And he says, uh, don't, you know, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. And uh, what that means is that there may have been Christians because they're Christians, because they're being faithful, that they were losing face, where they were being persecuted, ridiculed, mocked, demoted. They're losing status, which was shameful. And being called out as a Christian. And that was embarrassing. And uh, Peter's point is don't let shame deter you from obedience. Where, where, where do we feel that tension in our world today, in, in our lives today? Where might we feel shame, especially in these days? The business of life, you do not attention enough to your fate. In the in the business of life, life, yeah, you're busy and you don't have a, oh, you don't right, follow right. your fate. You, yeah, yeah. There's a lot yeah. of areas could be affected, like you know, purity issues, some, you know, mental health or drug abuse issues and things like that. That could be shameful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I, I, I was thinking, you know, as, as Christians, like it's it's hard because in this day and age, and I, I'm feeling this very closely because I am preaching on sexuality this Sunday, um, and to lay out a Christian vision for sexuality in this current cultural feel, the, the reaction that people may have will be, you know, to make me feel ashamed that, that this is ridiculous. How could I possibly believe this? How could Christians possibly hold to these old fashioned archaic ideas, right? And uh, it's interesting, but that sense of, I think, I think in our world today, that overwhelming sense of shame that that you experience like even even on social media for holding to certain christian views is getting quite strong it's getting very like i feel it and you know i'm 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 fairly outspoken in my faith like i'm not too worried about sharing my faith but uh, i'm starting to feel a little reticence you know online and different places in public because the pressure is really really building against christians i feel yeah yeah people shame you for you know for being conservative or supporting you know different things yeah 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 i know 
this might be our last meeting. I might be in prison next week. Um, I joke David, around. I may be. <laughs> remember all the course you courses you did on controversial subjects? Yeah. All of those we can be shamed for. Our views on transgenderism, our views on life and death and abortion and all those matters. Yeah. yeah. But but you know our, our culture has changed so much even in the last two years that I feel I feel the the the, the pressure way more in in the last year in the last two years and it's just accelerating um yeah 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 exactly hmm anyhow uh peter's point is is like be you know be careful don't feel ashamed and you'd only say that if by following jesus you experience shame um and probably it would look something like you would lose status and lose face within society. And I think in our day and age today, if you hold to the way of Jesus in this pluralistic world, um, you're going to feel a lot of pressure to feel shame. You may not feel shame, but you're going to feel pressure that you ought to feel shame. And we need to be ready for that because I think it's going to, it's, it's coming. It's the, the pressure is, is really building and it's accelerating uh, very, very quickly. Dave, can I ask you a question as a pastor? Do you see that's kind of what's impacting the, the, the church these days is we're not being relevant and we're not being controversial. We're actually, we're bowing to, you know, the ways of the world. And, you know, I think on a lot of pulpits, they're prepared to preach that soft message. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, I've just been reading recently that the numbers in church attendance are dropping. That could be because of age and, you know, a generation is being lost through just health and death. But, you know, as a pastor, what's your persona of, of you know, yeah. perspective of that? Well, I, I, I see that, um, that the church in its desire to be relevant you know, talking about whatever's, you know, whatever is trendy and, and trying to speak in a way that doesn't, you know, that that's relevant, but, but it's not offensive um, is, is it's, it's just, it's losing its prophetic voice. And um, it's interesting. I had a, a boy, hang on one second. Um, So just to carry on where we left off, uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about in verse 17. Look what, uh, look what uh, Peter says in verse 17. He says, yeah, so, so if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And... If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Okay. It's a little confusing. Um, he says, for judgment is about to begin for the household of God. I think he's still talking about the, the question of, of, of suffering. Um, his further explanation about suffering. So we keep that in mind. He says, when we suffer for faithfully following Jesus, we should rejoice and glorify God. Why? Well, because judgment is about to begin. And, and what I think Peter is saying is this, is that as 
persecution as fiery trials begin to increase for those who faithfully walk with Jesus, what is happening? And, and Dave, this kind of relates to what we were just saying. What is happening is that there's a greater clarity that's happening between those who follow Jesus Christ and the world, between the wheat and the tares. And, and these fiery trials is, is a purifying, it's a, it's a, you know, okay, who is with Jesus and who's not kind of moment, right? And, and, and this is going to accelerate as we, enter, as we get closer and closer to the end. I think that's what he's getting at. Scott McKnight puts it. He says, those who are purged through suffering are ones who will inherit final salvation. So there's this purging, the separation that's happening. And so, and, and, and Peter's already said this earlier in chapter four, if you remember back in verse seven, he says, the end of all things is at hand. And uh, so what's going to happen at all at the end of all things that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so what will be due those who suffer as a Christian? Well, it will be rewarded praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see that back in chapter 1. An inheritance lies in front of us that we read about in chapter 1, verse 4. And Jesus is going to evaluate what kind of servant. Are you a good and faithful servant? What kind of servant are you going to be? And so this is why we need to look carefully about how, how we live. But then he says, it's interesting. He says, you know, he reminds us that those who, who do not worship Jesus, his point is this, is like, it's, 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 it's hard enough. It's costly enough for us to be saved, to be brought from death to life, because the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ, the life of of God's own son. And he says, for those who want to have nothing to do with God, it's not looking good. He goes, if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And we read this in Revelation chapter 20. Anyone, if anyone's name is not found in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. And that's a reality of eternal separation from God. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's what he's getting at. And, and so the implications is this, is that, you know, we need to, uh, as Christians, we need to recognize that, you know, we are, we are rescued, we are saved, but it costs God so much. And so our response should always be uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Or as a friend of mine would always sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you, David. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that we, um, we are brands that are pulled from the fire and uh, we are rescued. And then Peter gets to this point and without reading ahead in your notes, let me just read this passage. Don't read ahead. In, I know at the moment I say that you all look down at your notes, but let me... Um, verse 19, it says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's kind of a summary statement. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What do you think Peter means in this passage? 
Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What, what, what does he mean? What stands out to you in this last verse that we're looking at? Well, just, I just trusting. Trusting. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, trusting and picture. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And trust their souls to a, okay. To a faithful creator, but yes. Good. What do you know? There is, it's a bit of an odd, there's a couple things that are odd in this, in this passage. Why do you think he refers to God as creator? Yeah. Kevin, you put that down. Yeah. Good. It's interesting that, eh, that he uses uh, the word, you know, he doesn't say father. He talks about God as, as creator. And I think, Kevin, you're onto something. I think it is a picture of, um, of God's sovereignty that's being laid out here. Yeah, Peter, yeah, that uh, God allows us to suffer. Through suffering, he brings us closer. So if this is according to his will and his plan, all we need to do is to trust him. Yeah, that's right. And, 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 but the fact that he uses creator, I think, is what, what's being emphasized. God as creator is emphasizing God's absolute sovereignty over all history, over all things. Uh, and he uses the situation to bring us glory or to bring, uh, to give him the glory. Um, yeah, yeah. And we see it in, in the story of, uh, of Joseph, for sure. Yeah, no, that's good. Excellent. Yeah, I think we, he, he, he lays this out and he's saying a few things. One, he's saying as creator, God is all powerful. And we've already said that, that he, he, is, he is sovereign. Secondly, as our creator, he, we are his creatures. He knows everything about us. Every fiber of our being, he knows. Um, and he also understands suffering, as I say, because he's experienced, uh, well, his son has experienced this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one in whom every, in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, Hebrews 4. We also see he's a faithful creator that we know that he will give us the grace. He'll give us the spirit, the Holy Spirit, um, to get through the trials that we face, no matter how fiery they get. Um, yeah. And fourthly, the fact that he is faithful reminds us that we can count on him uh, to give us his inheritance, that even though we suffer, it will be for a little while in light of eternity, right? So what are the takeaways from this passage then? What are some takeaways? Well, a few things. One is, it's not a shocker. Christians ought not to be surprised if they suffer shame or lose status as a result of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's the first takeaway. Secondly, suffering shame for Jesus should be understood as a test to prepare us for the final judgment. This is, there's, a, there's a winnowing that's taking place, that uh, things are moving, accelerating towards the end. Thirdly, we need to embrace opportunities to share in the sufferings of Christ. Don't go looking for trouble. Don't go seeking suffering for suffering's sake. Uh, but when we do suffer for doing right, know that Jesus has gone before us in this and he's with us in this. Fourthly, we fix our eyes on God and God's glory that awaits us. What we experience, even the suffering, is but, as C.S. Lewis says, is like a title page of a book that goes on forever and ever with each chapter being better than the chapter before. 
live our lives in light of eternity. Keep in step with the spirit. The spirit empowers us when we're facing difficulties. Watch carefully how we walk. Are you suffering for doing good or are you suffering for being annoying? <laughs> being a jerk. There's a big difference. Sometimes as Christians, we can't see those differences. The other thing I think that comes out of this, and this is a theme in scriptures, I think as Christians, we need to be stubborn. We need to be a little more stubborn than we are, a little bit more backbone. Doesn't mean we have to be rude or anything like that, but I, I, all the Christians that I've ever met that I've really, really respected, even very, very gentle, kind Christians, there is a steeliness to them that they know who they are, they know who God is, and they are not going to deviate. Doesn't matter how much pressure you bring on them. They're not going to change. And so there's a stubbornness. And so we continue to do good works, despite it all as an expression of our trust in God. That he is good, that he is sovereign, he is creator over all things. Right? Oh, great comments along the side. That's good. So I wanted to give you a, a snapshot of what this looks like. Um, some of you guys know this story. It's, a, it's an old story from church history. And it's a, it's a story of a guy named Polycarp. Does anybody know who Polycarp is? He's not a Pokemon. Sounds like a Pokemon, but he's not. Uh, Polycarp. Is <laughs> Sorry, he lived in 160 AD. So that's a long time ago. And uh, yeah, he was a student of John's. He was probably the last, last living connection to the apostles. And as a faithful Christian, he eventually, he eventually gets arrested. And uh, he's, he's, he's grabbed. Um, he's, he's praying and he gets grabbed um, and arrested. They put him on a donkey. They drag him into the city. Or they bring him into the city. And he's being brought into the arena. And it is interesting, this, this uh, story of Polycarp is there's an actual eyewitness account of this. It's one of the earliest eyewitness accounts of a martyrdom. Um, he's brought into the arena and a voice came from heaven and said, uh, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. That's interesting because we see that again in, in the Reformation. Um, no one saw who had spoken, it says, but our brothers who were there heard the voice. When the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. The proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp. On hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to turn away from his faith, to leave Christianity. And the, uh, you know, the leader said to him, Polycarp, have respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, down with the atheists, which is interesting. Christians were accused of being atheists because they would not worship the, the gods of, uh, of Rome. Interesting. Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked heathen multitude in the stadium and gesturing towards him, he said, he said, down with the atheists. Swear, said the proconsul. He says, reproach Christ and I will set you free. So deny Jesus and I'll set you free. And Polycarp says these famous words, 86 years have I served him. 86 years old. 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? 
Well, the proconsul says, I have wild animals here, Polycarp. I will throw them. I'll throw you to them if you do not repent. Polycarp says, well, go ahead and call them. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good and to turn to what is evil. He goes, I'll be glad, though, to be changed from evil to righteousness. If you despise the animals, oh, oh, then the proconsul says, if you despise the animals, I will have you burned. And Polycarp says, you know, you're threatening me with fire that burns for an hour and then is extinguished. You know nothing about the fire of coming judgment and eternal punishment. He goes, why are you waiting? He goes, do whatever you want with me. Well, it was all done in time. And the crowd collected wood and bundles of sticks from the shops and public bath. Um, when the pile was ready, Polycarp took off his outer clothes, undid his belt, tried to take off his sandals, something he's not used to. Um, and then they went to fix him with nails to nail him to the, to the stake. He goes, no, leave me as I am, for God will give me strength to endure the fire. And he'll enable me not to struggle, even though there's... Um, so I don't, you don't need to put nails on there. So they bound them and uh, they set fire and um, Polycar prayed. The fire was lit and the flame blazed furiously. And uh, a miracle apparently was, was happened that Polycar, you know, the, he didn't have the smell of burning flesh. They said they could smell almost like smelled sweet or like bread or something like that. Um, some people said they realized that, you know, for some reason the fire wasn't working. So they stabbed him and they killed him. Um, so he died and he went down as an apostolic prophetic teacher, bishop of the, of the church in Smyrna. And uh, people saw this and they were transformed. They were, they were impacted by it. And the reason why I love the story of Polycarp, you know, he's like, I love his uh, 86 years. I followed Jesus. You think I'm going to change now? And, you know, you're going to come up to some challenges and, and your response is going to be, oh, I'll speak for myself, 55 years, you know, or however many years. Um, you know, I'm not going to change now. But I'll tell you, we need to be strong because the pressure is going to be coming. The pressure is building big time. And so we need to be stubborn. We need to have iron spines. And we need to cling closely to Jesus and keep our, our life in him alive. Otherwise, we are in a lot of trouble. So that's what Peter's teaching us tonight. And that's what he's been teaching us all throughout this book. Is, is basically get ready. Get ready. You know, don't be alarmist, but get ready. And always be prepared. Right? Any questions, comments? David, can I have you turn off the red Hal eye for a moment? Yes. Hal, if anyone gets the reference to space, what was it? Uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to turn it off. And I'm actually going to, we'll just say this is the end of this recording then. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.